When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. Jumping Bomb Audio, a podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron, and I am joined, of course, by Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hi, we have a lot to talk about, but the most important thing we have to get to first, Aaron, is uh, a little birdie told me that you have some information on the question that's been haunting us for the past few weeks about some gear. That's so true, and but I didn't prepare for this at all, so now I'm trying to remember. Um, I'm trying to look up the picture right now so that I can make sure that I'm... Okay, I've, I've, I've found it. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, so the question has been, what does, or what is um, Hiroya Matsumoto's gear intended to evoke and i have suggested apparently embarrassingly that uh perhaps it was meant to evoke a hamburger or a taco and all those all those colors right so i i asked this question or i kind of discussed this question with my japanese teacher because i told her that one thing i wanted to know how to say before i go back to japan again is how to ask this question in case I run into uh, Hiroyo Matsumoto. And so I showed her a picture of Hiroyo and the gear. And I'm like, look, you got your, you know, I'm like explaining it. And she's like, uh, yeah, that's not what it is. She's like, those colors are the colors of traditional Japanese uh, kabuki stage curtains. So if you go type in Japanese uh, stage curtains or kabuki curtains or whatever, you'll find that they have these. It's just like a, apparently a traditional Japanese color combination of the black, 
the orange and the and the green. And as soon as I saw those curtains, I was like, oh, yeah, that's obviously what her gear is supposed to be. Have you looked it up, Taylor? I have not looked it up, although I am going to look it up right now. Um, I was about to say, all joking aside, that is very impressive that uh, she knew that right off the bat. Um, yeah, it was immediate. So as soon me, as I as soon as I pulled up a picture, I am, I am wondering now. I and I am seeing it now, and you are one hundred percent. That is 100% correct. So I'm assuming at this point you are not intending on going to Japan to do your own research. Is, would that be correct? Oh, that's true. I'm going to uh, assume this is this is the answer. I may, I mean, I don't know. Do you think Hiroyo Matsumoto would think it was funny if I was like, hey, I thought your gear was supposed to be a taco, but it's really these curtains? <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, what would be the reaction? Because I don't know that there were, well, I don't know. I can't think of like an equivalent question for sort of not this situation of like, oh, are you supposed to look like, would looking like a hamburger and you didn't mean to look like a hamburger, would you, would you be offended? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but immediately when I suggested it my japanese teacher was like that's almost certainly not true because neither hamburgers nor tacos are particularly popular in japan just foods that haven't really caught on there yes they i know they have some hamburger meat but not the traditional that is true with the bun and lettuce which would be the important things here because those are the two other colors right in this uh situation and then we went on to discuss that uh, Taco Bell just like didn't really work in, in Japan. They tried to do Taco Bell in Japan, and uh, the Japanese people were just not into it. Interesting. But that sometimes, you know, that's what happens sometimes. I'm sure there's, I can't think of any now, I'm blanking, but I'm sure there's been things in America that have been uh, attempted food-wise that have not caught on. Yes, of course. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to. Th I was trying to think of one, but not, the only one I can think of is like New Coke. But New Coke isn't like a you know, it's not like ah, oh, this British food, <laughs> New Coke, right? Uh, but it is true that like there are many different types of foreign food that are popular in the United States, and some are more popular than others. Obviously, like I'm sure there are Japanese people who like hamburgers or tacos, you know but just not widely popular. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. So yeah, just, you know, when you're listening to this, Google uh, the, the traditional Japanese stage curtains and you will find that that's clearly what her, what her thing is supposed to be. Uh, my Japanese teacher also said that Matsumoto has like a uh, Yankee look, which I hadn't really considered. Oh. I hadn't, I hadn't either. When I see that, I don't know, I guess maybe because, um, I don't know, I think of other people having a stronger Yankee look than she does. Yeah, she was just saying like the hair, especially, you know, the really curly hair. Uh, yeah. I didn't know that the hair, I didn't know that the hair was part of it. 
apparently it can be. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, this is obviously all the, the opinions of one person. <laughs> so <laughs> sure. true or not, I don't know. But that was just uh, that was her take. So look, from solely your describing various situations <laughs> and interactions you've had <laughs> with her, I've gained a great respect. Oh, yeah. For your Japanese teacher. The fact that she puts up with me, I think, generally. Well, sure. I Better you say it than me. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's but... it's it's true. I mean, I, I know it's true. <laughs> we did last week, so we, we were doing the promos, as you know, and that became a struggle because it just ended up in her having to do a lot of wrestling research to try to understand what the things meant, you know, to like figure out the context of what was going on. And so she's like, maybe we should try something else. And I uh, showed her some of like the the guidebooks I bought in Japan. Like, you know, they, you'll have some writing in Japanese, maybe, you know, like trying to read or translate those would be helpful. And so she kind of looked through them and she picked out the Tokyo Joshi Pro guidebook that I bought at uh, the Corcoran Hall show, um, you know, the 1-4 show in 2020. And so we've been going through there and there's like a little bio for each wrestler. They're like four or five sentences. It takes me hours to translate them into English. And, but last week we were doing uh, Rika Tatsumi. And of course, this is all a little dated because I got it, you know, over, or, you know, about a year and a half ago or so at this point. And, you know, the whole, the whole thing was really about her feud with uh, Misao and Misao's like change from. Uh, into Misao and then back into Hyper Misao, right? And it was very confusing to her to try to figure out like what the sentences meant, meant until I was able to kind of explain to her more about the context of the story. Uh, because there was like a part that I really couldn't figure out what it what it said. And she's like, well, it might mean this. Uh, but, you know, like the Japanese characters are so dependent on context. And so finally, I was able to explain to her more of the context of the story so that was able able to uh help her understand and explain to me what the kanji said that's a beautiful story of exchanging <laughs> <laughs> wonderful <laughs> cultural information that, that was a cultural exchange for sure i do that did remind me that um meant a couple years ago at some evolve show at laboom they randomly at the uh, merch stand had a bunch of Dragon Gate guidebooks, uh, like 20 randomly from Japan. I don't know where they came from, if they were like someone owned them and just said sell these to make money. And I bought all of them. And I was like, ah, I'm going to learn Japanese and, re and you know, go through and read these because it'll be a lot of fun. And of course, I have not done that, but I still do have the guidebooks and they're a lot of fun. It's, it turns out it's really hard to learn Japanese. Uh, I'm about a year in, and I still don't know a ton, uh, but I, I know a, a decent amount. Well, you can never uh, you can never say this podcast is not educational because everyone's learned uh, a little something today. Absolutely. Now you know about these traditional curtains, and you know us both being theater people, Taylor. I thought it was particularly interesting, and perhaps particularly embarrassing that we didn't know. That th that could be true both ways. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to be further educated, make sure you're following us on Twitter at JBombAudio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Subscribe to the show, whatever podcast app you use. 
Uh, give us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. It helps people find the show. And if you want to donate to the show, you can do so by going to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. The main thing we're going to talk about on today's show, finally, a very timely show for us to talk about. Stardom's Tokyo Dream Cinderella, I think is the name of it. Tokyo Cinderella Dream. Tokyo Dream Cinderella. I got it right the first time, baby. Special edition. Special edition from Oda Ward Gymnasium. Uh, the most recent big stardom show. We're going to talk about the whole thing. But Taylor, first, what were your overall thoughts on the show? I thought for most of it, my thoughts were it was a solid uh, show, but not overly spectacular. Um, but I really enjoyed the main event, as we'll talk about in a little bit. But overall, I thought it was a fairly strong show. There was nothing that I thought was, um, you know, really, I thought everything was either average or or better than average going into, you know, good. So, you know, a strong showing, but I don't think it was their best uh, big show of 2021. Yeah, I think that's fair. It definitely was a fun show and an easy watch, which listeners know these are things that I value in wrestling. I didn't stay too long. And we'll talk about it here, but there were a couple of things that happened that were pretty compelling that I'm like curious to see, you know, what's going to happen next. Stardom has been in a little bit of a rut for me recently of like just not doing a lot of stuff that I really cared too much about the follow-up on uh but there's a couple things here that i'm curious about so uh that was nice but let's go through the card from the top now there was a pre-show match i believe it was lady c versus hina versus rena in a three-way match but i don't think anyone has seen that match so we can't talk about it so that means the actual opening match that we all saw uh was a semifinal in the cinderella tournament and it was Micah versus Unagi Sayaka. And uh, Micah was the ultimate winner, being our first finalist in the Cinderella tournament. Yeah, I'm of sort of uh, two minds on uh, less on this match, but more sort of on the larger picture of things. And I found myself during the match sort of going between these two um, sort of fields of thought, I guess, which is, you know, Unagi, it's so weird to me that, and we've talked about on the show before, that that this promotion stardom, you know, needs more people who they can put out there who can lose. And, you know, a while back they get, you know, Mina Shirakawa and they get uh, Unagi. And I know that our initial thoughts on the show were that these the two of them would come in and would probably lose more than they win but really that has not been the case they have been booked very similar to the way a lot of other people are booked which is that they uh are you know being moved up the card um which is a little bit strange to me although on the other hand so that was sort of the one thought on the other hand I I did sort of like the story that they set up with Unagi winning these matches by, you know, over the top rope. I think it that's an effective story that you can use during the Cinderella tournament. 
I think it's a little bit more effective of a story when the tournament is one day as opposed to stretched out like this. Now, some of the stretch on this was not um, was out of stardom's hands, so it's a little bit different. But I just think the energy of sort of one person catching fire, getting a strategy that works, that, you know, isn't just, oh, let's stand in the middle of the ring and, you know, go at it, is fun. And it's a little bit different when you have it on multiple days because then, you know, you're thinking, oh, well, wouldn't someone have seen the match and gone, oh, she's going to favor, you know, getting people over the top rope. Um, But I thought the match was, you know, fairly good. I thought Micah looked, I thought Micah looked very good, uh, looked really strong. Unagi is someone who still, uh, for me, is not there yet in ring-wise, which is fine, especially when she was sort of lower on the card, but those um, issues become, I think, more pronounced as she's put in this sort of larger spot, even though this was the opening match of the show. You know, it's just some things where, at times, she does not look completely comfortable in the ring. There's moves where... You know, she took a suplex off the top uh, from Micah, which looked really great when it was, you know, Micah lifting her up. And then she sort of came down on her feet um, and then her back. It was just weird. There's just a sense of she's not entirely at that level yet that I think some of the other, you know, Micah, Himika, even, you know, Saya Kamatani, the other three that were in the Cinderella tournament. So, you know, I'm sort of, as I said, I'm of sort of two minds where I can see both positives and negatives here. Yeah, I think that's fair. Something, you know, this is kind of my brain and, you know, regular listeners will not be surprised by this. But something I've been thinking about a lot is Micah to me is pushed heavier than Momo, for example. and. I just wonder what what separates those two. It was clear when Bushi Road came into stardom that they weren't interested in Momo. And you know, she obviously had been a top champion for a long time, a big deal in the in the company, one of the top uh one of the top stars. And then she was, you know, nothing. She stuck here on a on a three-way tag shuffle match where she didn't really get to do much. And I just find like Momo is obviously a, a better wrestler than Micah, certainly more charismatic than Micah. And I'm a big Micah fan. I hope everybody knows that from listening. Uh, but I just find it strange that Micah is pushed to the level she is while while Momo isn't. And perhaps it's simply due to Micah's um, closeness with Julia. And, you know, all of Donada Mondo gets a, a pretty nice push. I don't know if that's part of it. but. The the Unagi thing is certainly interesting, uh, but for me, because I'm a psycho who is uh, a, a big Momo fan, I just was struck by the fact that uh, I don't see really anything that Micah does better than Momo, again, even though I love Micah, and yet uh, she's in a much better position. Yeah, I don't, you know, I... I totally see where you're coming from. And there's times when I don't entirely 
really understand what stardom thinks about a lot of their wrestlers um in terms of this you know this is looking a little bit ahead but you know micah goes through to the finals not himika you know what sort of what is the decision there they have both seemed very similar but there are times when all of a sudden it seems like they're very hot on micah and then they're less hot on her and then they're hot on himika it's there's just a sort of confusing sense of like who does the company really see as the that sort of next uh you know phase of wrestlers to build up the card because that's largely what you know Cinderella tournament does and you could say well all four of these people have sort of moved up because they're in the you know final four and this four happens to take place on a big show but it's just not entirely clear do stardom see all four of these people as, you know, future tops of the company? Do they not? Are they just there because they, you know, need a body for, you know, the win, you know, Saya to defeat? Or, you know, did they just bring Unagi up because Micah could beat her? Um, so, yeah, it is a little bit murky. So I do agree with you. I do agree with you there. Also strange if they do. I mean, Unagi is in her thirties already. Uh, you know, so it's doubtful she's going to be a, a top star in the company. Although she is um fairly new. So, you know, certainly there's there's more to be pulled out of her, I suppose. Uh but yeah, the other three are, are much more interesting to me as as uh what their futures could be in the company. Uh but we'll have more time to talk about that elsewhere, I'm sure. The second match was the other semifinal in the Cinderella tournament. Himika versus Sayakami Tani. And as Taylor suggested, Sayakami Tani won. Uh, is, th- is the move called the Star Crusher, Taylor? You're asking me what the move is called? Uh, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I Just what I thought was interesting is that Micah and Kamitani won with like uh, people, like move people are going to be mad at me. But they're both, what they do is both do is pretty similar to a Michinoku driver. Yeah, I would love to have an encyclopedic knowledge of of moves, but that is one of the skills I do not possess. Um, but Aaron, I have to give you credit to to build you back up a little bit. You nailed this because you because when we previewed the show, you said Sayakamatani, and I doubted you heavily, and you <laughs> you showed me. You did, Taylor, and you know I've been thinking about it ever since. Uh, kind of stuck in my craw, and uh, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove this Taylor guy wrong when when Tokyo Dream Cinderella comes around, and boy did I, boy did you, uh, in the biggest way, <laughs> because, and this match, I didn't, I didn't really have that many thoughts about it. Like half partway through, I was sort of watching it, and I was like, what do I think of this match? And I was like, it's fine. I, I think there's a thing with Saya still where, and we've talked about, you know, stringing together the offense and things like that. I I still think there's a sense of, you know, sort of building the match. And I think because she's so young, her matches don't really always connect with me in terms of building in a way that gets me invested as the match goes on. Like sometimes it, 
sort of feels to me just like, okay, I'm going to do um, this move now. And now it's going to be this move. You know, they're not bad matches. It doesn't make them bad. It just doesn't hit me in a way that gets me invested over time. It just feels sort of like, oh, I'm watching wrestling. Yeah, I think that's fair. And that was my, I remember having a real concern about that and her big match with Utami because Utami hadn't really shown much skill in in leading less talented wrestlers or, you know, less experienced wrestlers. And they ended up having a great match. So I really wasn't sure where uh, Kamitani was heading. But I think this show certainly suggested that that you're right, that she that wasn't a, a leap for her. Uh, honestly, looking back at this show now, I'm not sure uh, exactly what was what was to credit for for that excellent match that they had. Uh, but yeah, the match didn't really grab me. And I think it's exactly because of what you said. You know, I really need unless you're just doing absolutely crazy spots that I don't really care what the story is. You know, I could just enjoy the insanity that's happening. But uh, if you're not putting together, you know, a narrative from the beginning to the end, it's hard to. Uh, and the narrative can just be, as you're talking about, that it just the stakes get more intense. You know, the match gets heightened as we go on. And yeah, we don't really get that with uh, Kamitani. But I was mostly excited that she won because it would mean you were wrong and I was right. I'm glad that's what's important to you. It absolutely is. <laughs> uh, next up was the three way. Uh, shuffle tag where everybody came out. Then we drew uh, sticks for team members, and the teams ended up being Mina Shirakawa, and, Kawa I said that strangely, and Momo Watanabe uh, versus Natsupoi and Azumi versus Julia and Tom Nakano. And our winners were Azumi and Natsupoi, and Azumi pinned Mina Shirakawa. Yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. I thought that the little twist of uh, dividing the teams up uh, by draw was a lot of fun, whether that was, you know, done uh, as a shoot or whether, you know, they sort of fudged it a little bit to get certain people on certain teams. We don't know, but, you know, I thought it was a lot of fun. And I think with a match like this sort of lower on the card, there aren't really that many stakes to it. I think doing things like this, adding a little element, it doesn't really distract um, from the match itself. It doesn't overpower the match, but it gives it sort of a fun twist. And I was reading a lot because I finished the show and I just sort of went online just to see sort of what people were thinking, just get a sense of it. And there were a lot of people who were saying this felt sort of like a stardom match of a few years ago when they would just, you know, throw in you know, a little twist or they would do the costume battle Royals or things like that. Just a fun match. And so I really, uh, I really enjoyed it. And up to this point, this was my favorite match of the show. Can we talk about Ozzy's hair? It's wild. Oh yeah. I was thinking, I was like, Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's being, um, but, you know, like sometimes you grow it so you can do something else with it. Sure. Like you get the length so that you can cut it down in a way that it looks, you know, a certain way, but you need the length to go shorter. Right. That could be it. But yes, then it, it <laughs> that mean, did also it jump out to me. It definitely could be at like a weird like in-between thing for whatever she's growing. But she, 
absolutely purposefully did like the little like curl at the bottom. You know, normally she has like the stick straight hair. And this like it's wild. She aged herself like ten years. Maybe that was maybe that was the goal. Maybe. Well, she succeeded. This has uh, been the hair corner on Jumping Bomb Audio. Okay, next up we had the uh, Oedotai versus Stars. I think it was called an All Out War match, if I'm not mistaken. Great band, by the way. All Out War. Anybody's listening? Uh, so here were the teams: Natsuko Tora, Fukigen Death, Saki Kashima, Konami, Ruaka versus Mayu Iwatani, Starlight Kid, Koguma. Hanan and Lin Karokora. And the idea here was like the last match they had, the, the last person to lose would have to switch teams. And uh, Taylor, a genuine surprise here. Starlight Kid was the loser. We'll have to join Oedo Tai. Uh, Natsuko pinned Kid while Mayu was tied to the turnbuckle. Yeah, we were talking about it earlier uh, this week when all the stipulation, you know, the stipulation was announced and the X's were announced. Um, that we were a bit concerned that maybe this was leading to Fukigen death going back to stars and rendering sort of both of these matches that they've had um, sort of pointless, I guess. But that did not happen. A, a truly uh, shocking outcome in one where I'm genuinely curious to see uh, what happens next in terms of you know, where does this character of Starlight Kid go? I think this is a great... I mean, to me, frankly, I would have done only one of these matches and I would have ha- and I would have done this second match. You know, the Fukigen death, it's like, okay, it gives Oedo Tai another member, but, you know, I do think it's sort of um, undercut this match a bit even before sort of the match began, because it's sort of like, oh, you know, I saw a lot of reaction when they announced it. It's like, oh, they're doing the same stipulation again. And I think it would have had a little bit more oomph had it been that first one where you don't, you're going, well, it could be, you know, anyone. And you're saying, well, it's probably going to be, you know, one of the lower uh, tier wrestlers. And I think it would have had more power if you would have gotten Starlight Kid there right off the bat. Also, the fact that now Stars has uh, lost twice in a row uh, doesn't make them look great. Um, but like I said, I, you know, I thought the match was very well worked. I thought everyone worked really hard, even, you know, at the beginning, like Ruaka was really impressing me. And then, of course, she got eliminated. Konami was doing very well. So I think it was a well worked match with a um, good ending. So, really, what more? Uh, could you really ask for stars is really hurting now i mean they already had to bring in uh katakura for this match uh they had to you know they brought back uh koguma so losing starlight kid is like a huge huge loss for stars well aaron i'm just gonna say this on every episode we have until it happens or until uh I guess uh, something else happens, the the end of the world or something. Uh, (laughs) Maybe this is all leading uh, to, you know, Stars gets really down and they bring in Yusuke Aikoa back to lift Stars up again and defeat Oedotai. Uh, That would be sick. I would like that. Um, 
you know, someone suggested in our in our mentions, and I just don't think it can happen. You know that uh, Kyrie Sane is going to be the one to come back and and revitalize stars, but that doesn't appear to be in the offing, unfortunately. So I don't know what's going to happen, but exactly what you said. It's like this is to me the most compelling thing that's happened in stardom in quite some time, where I'm genuinely curious and will absolutely turn in, tune in rather to whatever next show happens just to see i'm sure you're going to tell me in a little bit what the next show is uh just to see what kid in oedo tai looks like that that sounds interesting um it's not going to fix like that all the other matches featuring oedo tai are bad so i'm not sure how that's going to play in but it's also good for kid to give her like something new to do uh and freshen her up a little bit so seems good for everybody really now, Aaron, if you had to predict what what would be the Oedo Tai version of Starlight Kid? Hmm. Because I was thinking, like, what's the opposite of Starlight? Like Moonlight, or just like darkness, right? I mean, I guess Starlight is in darkness, though, but like complete darkness. That's that's her new getting her new gimmick name is complete <laughs> complete, complete darkness. darkness kid. Um, what's, what's like a, uh, what's the star called that's like dying or that's dead already? Are you asking about a specific star? No, there's like a type of star that's like, we still see them, but it turns out they died like a million years ago or some shit. Uh, <laughs> all, all that's coming to my mind is supernovas, but that's not it, right? Uh, I mean, I, you know. I'm very dumb when it comes to like, or like a, but isn't that like a brown dwarf? A white dwarf. I don't think. Okay. I don't think that's a good name for her. No. <laughs> <laughs> now that I've looked it up, I I wouldn't do that. Really. Yeah, I think that one's that's one for the uh, reject pile. <laughs> oh gosh. You know that's that's what you throw out during the brainstorming session. There's no wrong answers. There's no wrong answers. <laughs> What about White Dwarf? Mm, okay, maybe there are <laughs> wrong answers. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, I'm just going to move on from that now. The Cinderella Tournament final came next. Sayakamitani versus Micah. And uh, Sayakamitani won with, I believe, a Phoenix Splash. That's what I'm going to call it. Uh, yeah, so Sayakamitani is your Cinderella Tournament winner. As I predicted. Yeah, I... Yes, as Aaron predicted, we have to say it every time we uh, mention it. Um, the man who came up with White Dwarf also predicted Sai Kamatani <laughs> would, would win the tournament. <laughs> you also, win some, you lose some. Also, uh, is a white guy who's short. So, I mean, bad. <laughs> I hope this nickname doesn't catch on. Um, I enjoyed it. I had similar feelings to the semifinal match with Himika. I liked the uh, leg. Uh, work it because I thought it just sort of distinguished the match from the other two um, semifinal matches. It didn't do, you know, it didn't really bring the match up hugely for me. But I was like, oh, this is sort of an interesting uh, way to go. But again, it felt very similar. I think seeing two Saya matches also in one night is sort of like, oh yeah, I th I think that is what it is that there isn't a ton of sort of natural flow from point to point and, you know, build for me. 
yeah, I agree. I thought the leg thing was good, but then they seemed to abandon it, or at least Micah didn't seem to care about it uh, as the match went on. It was just, it's tough to put two wrestlers of, of these levels of experience in a final like this. I just, they're both, they both can be very good in the right match, uh, especially Micah for me, but I think putting the two of them together maybe wasn't, uh, wasn't the best idea here. So it's, you know, they, I was trying to think back about some other Cinderella tournament finals. And I remember like Konami being in there with Arisa Hoshki, if I'm remembering correctly. And, you know, Konami's not, I mean, she's like 23 or whatever, 24, but you know, she's a veteran. She's someone who can definitely keep a match together. And of course, uh, Arisa was a veteran also, even though she'd been gone for like six years or whatever. Um, so yeah, I just kind of a, a tough ask of both of them. And I, and I don't think it was a fine match, but I don't think they were able to take it to a, any sort of next level. And then we had the main event for the uh, World of Stardom Championship, Utami Hayashishta versus Shuri and Utami Hayashishta. Oh, no, she didn't win. Sorry. How could I forget? Because it went to not one draw, Taylor. But the match was restarted, and it went to a second draw. Aaron, okay, so let's get the <laughs> negative. Let's get the negative out of the way. That's a good idea. Which is that the well, I, I will say the first draw when they announced that first draw, it infuriated me. I was watching the show, and I said out loud, "You have got to be fucking kidding me." It went to a draw and then they were, you know, then they decided to restart the match. And I thought, okay, that's sort of interesting. You know, they do all these draws and maybe the reason they've been doing all these draws is that to fool you in to think, oh, whenever a draw happens, the match ends. But here's a little twist. And then the match ended in a draw, double KO draw, which I believe was the same ending as Julia Shuri. From was that November? Ah, you know I don't remember dates, but that sounds right. Um, and it's just, uh, it's one of those things where I get in isolation. I understand the story of Shuri comes in. She's super talented. She throws everything she's got. At Utami, and Utami manages to, you know, sort of get the draw, you know, fight her off, not win, but also not lose, get the draw. And there is sort of an interesting story there. The issue is they do draws almost every single show they run. If you go and you look, there are so many draws. So that would that would imply that this story is happening over and over. And the last time we brought up draws, and I try not to bring it up because it happens all the time and there's really no new information that's happening except they're doing too many draws. You know, we I had some people that I was talking with who said, it's not a big deal. They're happening on house. They're happening on these house shows or they're happening, you know, once, you know, at maybe a Corican once in a while or they're happening here. but. They're happening so often that to me, this could have been an exciting, oh, they went to a draw. What are they going to do? 
oh, they're going to start over. Okay, oh, they went to another draw again. I can't believe it. But the only thing I could think about was, of course they went to a draw. Almost, you know, 5% of all matches or 10% of all matches in stardom go to draw. And it takes the power out of using a draw as a tool to enhance a story as opposed to the draw as a just a tool to avoid having someone lose, which is essentially looking at the draws that happen, looking at who's in the you know matches. Stardom has used it as a tool to sort of kick the can down the road, as it were, to say, well, all of these four people, we want them to be strong, but we want them in the same match, but we don't want anyone to lose. So we'll just sort of move it down the road and they can have a draw and then, you know, everyone will be the same. So that's my negative side of the match. My positives are, I thought the in-ring stuff outside of the finish was, I thought it was really, really very good. I thought it was excellent stuff. And I was saying to myself, watching the match, you know, I'm annoyed by this draw stuff happening, but I can't let it take away from the fact that, you know, Utami and Shuri probably, you know, were backstage and someone tells them you have to go to a, you know, time limit draw and then you have to go to a knockout draw. And they go out there and they have to do that. And I think within the constraints of what they were given to do, they did an excellent job. I thought Shuri looked amazing. And in my personal opinion, you know, watching the match, you know, knowing it was supposed to go to a draw, I I was thinking, you know, maybe they should call an audible and just have Shuri win. Because to me, you know, we have talked about on the show, she's super talented many times before we've mentioned it, but she just seemed like someone who has that X factor, you know, obviously super talented in the ring, is really interesting, has this sort of background, this MMA, UFC background, and has the sort of charisma that makes her really interesting to watch. She looked really good in this match. Her offense looked deliberate in a way that everything was very calculated. It was 100%. It wasn't wishy-washy sort of, oh, what do I do now? You know, going for the submissions, doing the strikes. I mean, she was taking crazy bumps. She took that bump into the uh, apron head first, which I don't know if that was planned or not, but looked crazy. And I just think at this point, to me, you know, you've been working on Utami as sort of this, you know, giving her the title having her, you know, wrestle these matches, being on big shows, to me, she has not quite gotten there to the point where I say, okay, she has, you know, she has the thing and she is up cemented at the top of this promotion. She, it hasn't 100% clicked. She's had a number of good matches as we've talked about on the show, this match, um, and the, you know, And many of her other matches are very, very good, but it just doesn't feel like she has that extra thing that I felt Shuri had in this match that I think Shuri winning, you could have really locked her in and gone, look at this. We got a new big star, this 
ex-MMA fighter. She's so tough. She really came out here and, you know, like really fought Utami, gave it all she had and and won. Um, you know, it's not necessarily, I didn't end the match and go, oh, Shuri won. I hated that. But that would have been my thought. All that being said, I thought it was still an excellent, excellent match. I went four and a half stars, so I still thought it was very good in spite of the, you know, issues I had with the finish and sort of the midway point of the match. I think the bigger, I don't know if it's the bigger problem with the double draw, but a big problem with the match is that I don't think Shuri is booked credibly enough to have this match with with utami she looked great here i agree with you completely she worked circles around utami in my opinion uh she's certainly much more charismatic than utami is in the ring um but you know i was looking back through shuri singles matches in stardom and she never gets the big win she kind of she beats everybody in like the middle of of the promotion, but she never beats Julia or Mayu or Utami. You know, she doesn't get those wins. So the idea that she would win this match honestly never entered my brain while watching this. Never occurred to me that Shuri was going to win. I figured Utami would pull it out in the end. The draw the first draw was uh, similarly infuriating to me. The second draw, I just laughed when it happened. I was like, you know, of course, uh, that's what we're going to do. But I think we had two main problems. Shuri's just, to me, non-credibility as a top champion in the way she's been booked, and which, again, has nothing to do with her performances. Uh, and two... A lot of the match was built, you know, this kind of plays into this, but a lot of the match was built around Utami beating, I'm sorry, Shuri beating down Utami. And Utami, to me, does not have the in-ring charisma to, like, really sell that to the point where you feel like she's on her last leg. She's in danger of losing. You know, you see Shuri get some of these, especially in, like, the second period or whatever you want to call it, the overtime. You see Shuri lock in some of these submission holds and Utami's got to fight for the ropes, but you still don't really feel that danger, I don't think, because Utami hasn't hasn't given it to us uh, throughout the match. Now, this match is going to be behind the eight ball for me anyway, because it's like a 40 minute match and I just don't think matches should be that long. (laughs) And it starts out kind of slow in that like, New Japan main event style that is just not for me, just not what I like. But there was a, that said, like if you factor in the slow start, there was a lot of great stuff in the match, mostly Shuri. Brutal kicks, super stiff, all sounded great. She's got, Shuri makes the noises. She gives you the facial expressions and she just always feels like she's fighting and trying to win the match. And I love that about her. What, Shuri's one of my favorite wrestlers in the world. And I thought she was great here. Uh, but Utami did have some great stuff. A lot of it was like her, you know, you kind of call them like hope spots or whatever, where she kind of gets her little comeback. Then it kind of comes out of nowhere where she has to do a move. Um, God, that, as you talked about, that suplex onto the 
that Shuri took on her head on the apron. That was insane. Uh, the during the overtime period, there was some some drama. I think just because you're like, oh, this is a little different. Uh, but overall, it was a match I I liked. It was held back for me by the fact that I never thought Shuri could win, and by Utami's uh, performance in like the fighting from underneath role. Uh, I'd probably I would go four. You, you might be able to talk me into four and a quarter, but probably four because uh, it was good. There was just a lot of stuff that uh, held it back for me. And I think on your larger point, Taylor, I've been skeptical of Utami as a top star because of her charisma issues. I think she's I've always thought she was an excellent worker, and I'm not sure she's even brought that in all of her big red belt matches. The match with Sai Kamitani, I liked quite a bit. This match, I liked quite a bit. Uh, But she used to have these... I I think she used to have better matches. Maybe the pressure wasn't wasn't on her as much. But I am... Because I was already skeptical, um, nothing has really dissuaded me from that yet, that I'm just not sure she can be the ace, the person on top of a promotion. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, at the time when she won the belt, I think we both agreed, and I would probably still agree, that it was the right choice for her to win to sort of give her that opportunity. We had been talking about, you know, giving people opportunities at the top of the card to try and make stars and try and make some big names to draw in the fans. and. You know, they've had some big shows. Some of them have not been headlined by Utami, um, which doesn't take away from the fact that they've done very well and Utami's had good matches. But it just feels like it hasn't hit the point where, with someone like Julia, for example, Julia, I don't think there's anyone on earth who would talk about Julia or look at Julia and go, not a star, you know, no doubter locked in even really sort of before the big hair versus hair match you would have thought that now it's definitive but i just don't get that sense with utami where i'm like she comes out and i'm like whoa like this is a big time person it still feels like someone who is sort of growing into that and it may still happen but now of course you have the pressure of She's been there a while, and I'm sure that they have other uh, people they want to move up or stories they want to try. You know, we've talked about on the show probably this pending Utami versus Julia match where you might assume that Julia would win that match. And at that point, is Utami established enough where that loss you know, is she established enough that she can stay up at the higher level after that loss? I don't know yet. And as to your other point, I agree um, that I came into the match thinking Utami was going to win almost without a doubt. You know, there's always a chance at the other way. And so that also did affect it a little bit for me. I was watching Shuri going, if I were them, I would, I would you know, give it to Shuri, but I don't know that I ever thought, oh, they will. 
especially I think in the overtime period, there was a moment when it was sort of like she had an arm bar. Utami got to the ropes. She got something else. Utami got to the ropes. And then she got sort of a third thing and Utami got to the ropes. And it sort of just hit the point for me where it felt like at that point, I thought, oh, Utami's going to win because the story will be Suri tried everything and her best shot didn't work. Now it was slightly different where they both uh, did the double knockout, but it did feel like she was hitting her with so much that Utami was, you know, especially the submissions getting to the ropes that I didn't see the path of, okay, then it would go, you know, Suri would like, would the story be, oh, Suri gets on another submission and it just happens that this submission is the one that works. It just didn't seem like the story was going that way. So I've seen some people, you know, people have said, oh, match of the year. And I think that that sort of feeling of, oh, I don't think Suri's winning probably will hold it back a little bit for me from that level, but still thought it was very good. All right. And after, I mean, God, if if you were on a high, if you really loved this match, which I'm happy for you and you were on a high, had to be deflating then to see. Natsuko Tara come out as uh, a, ne- a potential next challenger. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. <laughs> oh, I was going to say if you defend that, Taylor, I'll be I'll be stunned. No, no, no. I will. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll just let that lie. Okay. Support for Jumping Bomb Audio is brought to you by Manscape, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. They offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Uh, they obsess over their technology. They got the best tools for grooming experience. Uh, we have an exclusive offer for our listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code JUMP. That's J-U-M-P at manscaped.com. I know Manscaped uh, sent us both the Perfect Package 3.0 kit, uh, which not only has the Lawnmower 3.0, but it also has uh, a lot of their other Things like the uh, Crop Preserver, which is a favorite of mine because it just uh, helps you with a little chafing if you have that sort of issue, which I do, especially in the hot, hot summer. Uh, so they have that, but the the Lawnmower 3.0 has an LED light, which allows you to get a more precise shave. It's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower if you want. Um, and they also throw in the perfect package, a pair of briefs and a t-shirt. Actually, no, I'm sorry, not a t-shirt. I'm wearing the Manscaped t-shirt right now. So I was thinking about the t-shirt. But yes, you can trim that junk of yours with 20% off plus free shipping with the code jump at manscaped.com and your balls will thank you. All right. Oh, that was not intended, but it turned out to be very funny. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I was... (laughs) What was that? So we use a program called Zencaster to record the show. And I was trying to type in a foot. You can make a little note. I was trying to put in the timing for the end of the ad read because we have to keep up with that. And when I hit it, there's also like a way to have a sound uh, sound bar. No, but what's the right word that I'm looking for? A, a sound, sound cue? Board. There's a way to have There's a sound board in Zencaster. Oh. Yeah. And so whatever I hit appeared to use the sound for like, you know, the the symbol crash you would do after a joke. Um 
Very funny to me. I'm leaving that in, obviously. It was uh, obviously, although now you've opened up a scary world where I may uh, expect other, <laughs> other sounds. Yes, sorry. I'll cue you. I'll say something, and then I'll say, cue the... I don't know. <laughs> How many options you got? I only have, I only have four right now. Um, oh. But, but I, you can add your own, which is the real scary part. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's talk about some of the other shows, which there weren't many, that happened over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, so Stardom also had a Corican show before their uh, big show. Uh, there were some uh, Future of Stardom tournament matches. Hina defeated Rina in the first round of that tournament. Uh, Unagi Sayaka defeated Hanan in the semifinal. And then Hina had another match. Uh, she was defeated by Mina Shirakawa in the semifinal. So that matches or that tournament is getting uh, close to ending. And Natsupoi successfully defended her high speed title against. Fuki can death. Um, there is a big. Um, at the time this is released, it will have just happened. Uh, the Gaia show is happening, um, unless in the next about twelve hours or so something goes terribly wrong. Uh, it is finally after a year plus of talking about the show. It is happening. Uh, it will have happened by the time this is released. It is. Uh, available on pay-per-view internationally through Zyko, uh, which has been used by a number of these companies. It is uh, a little bit high-priced. Uh, it is 5,000 yen, uh, but it looks like this you know, is most likely a one-off show. They've had a lot of delays with, obviously, the show getting moved back because of these state of emergencies. So hopefully it's, it's a uh, good show. I will definitely be watching it have been looking forward to it really since it was announced. So happy to know that it is uh, almost here. Um, also happening uh, tomorrow, the Oz Academy show on the 13th, uh, Sonika Kato against Kaori Yoniyama for the Oz title. So that has not happened yet, but will have happened by the time this is released. Uh, one of the other major shows of the last two weeks was the Cyber Fight Festival uh, featuring talent uh, from DDT, Noah, Tokyo Joshi. Uh, Tokyo Joshi had four matches, uh, three undercard uh, tag matches in various forms, and then a Princess of Princess title match. Uh, the big stories from the undercard matches, Kaya Toribama. Torabami uh, debuted in Tokyo Joshi's first match. It was a eight. It was a ten-person uh, tag match: Mirai Mayumi, Suzume, Arisu Endo, Haruna Neko, and Moko Miyamoto against Kaya Toribami, Mahiro Kiryu, Nao Kakuda, Pam Harajuku, and Raku. Uh, I thought Kaya Torabami looked really great for her debut. A debut on a big, big show uh, looked really great. Had some great high-flying offense, which I thought was really exciting. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of her matches. And we will be talking about one of those upcoming matches uh, in a few minutes. Um, they had another excellent... Um, they had a three-way, six 
person tag. So it was Hyper Masao and Shoko Nakajima against the Bakuretsu sisters against Miyu Watanabe and Rika Tatsumi. Uh, I find it very shocking that Tokyo Joshi has done so few three-way matches like this because they had one on that Korokin that I thought was really great. And I thought this was really great as well. You know, keeps up the energy, having these people in, having it be a three-way, allows people to come in and out very quickly, you know, switch up, do their stuff, get out, come back in. And so a match that I really enjoyed. The third match, Maki Ito, Marika Kobashi, and Yuki Kamafuku against Hikari Noah, Mizuki, and Yuki Arai. Continuing this feud between Maki Ito and Yuki Arai. Yuki Arai, I thought, looked really great as well. So another rookie, uh, Tokyo Joshi has had a number of great rookies debut over the last few months. And excited to see where all of them go. And then the big uh, one of three main events for the show, Miyu Yamashita, the champion, defending against Yuka. Sakazaki for the Princess of Princess title. And Aaron, what did you think of this match? I was not crazy about it, Taylor. I'm not going to lie to you here. Uh, it was a match I was very excited about. Uh, some of the problems, I think, were like... There was a... Uh, I hate to blame this, but there was a lot happening on commentary. Like a whole lot happening. Too much happening. The sound was weird. I thought the production was weird. You really couldn't hear the crowd. That made it hard. Um, I don't know if there was... I don't know what caused it, but there were just like some weird spots that seemed to come out of nowhere. Didn't really seem to have the right impact, you know, that you would have wanted for for the move. And it just never really came together for me. So I, I was not in love with this match. Yeah, I can see that. And I was sword. I was also really looking forward to the match. And I don't think it got to the point where I um, really loved it. I think there was, as you mentioned, a little bit of sloppiness that was seemed sort of uncharacteristic. But I did think, um, you know, they had moments that were very exciting to me. It was very hard-hitting. I mean, a match with Miyu Mashita, of course, would be. So I went, I was sort of on the fence between three and three quarters and four. I started at three and three quarters. And I I think sort of our reactions are very similar to the sort of larger thoughts, which was I was watching live um, and some of the people I was watching live with said, oh, it's, you know, a three, you know, about three. And then I knew some people who watched afterwards and said, oh, four and a half. It was so great. I loved it. So I think the reaction really has been all over the board. So it was disappointing for me, but I thought they sort of pulled out something um, amidst sort of these uh, struggles they were having, I guess I would say. That's like, that's very hard for me to understand. Like if somebody loved the Utami versus uh, Shuri match, you know, we're like match of the year on that. I don't really understand it, but like, I get it if you really like that style of match, which I don't really care for. but. The the Miyu and Yuka match, I it stuns me to hear that some people thought that was a a um, four and a half star caliber match. 
That's what makes wrestling so great, Aaron. I suppose. That we we all have wonderful <laughs> we all have diverse wonderful opinions. Um anyway, continuing on, Sendai Girls had a show on the 4th, June 4th. Meiho Shizuki retained uh, the junior title over Canon. Uh Ice Ribbon has had a number of Peace Party shows over the last two weeks. They've been running the IWGQ tournament, mini tournament, um, and it is down, or it actually ended. Matsuyo Uno defeated Madeline in the finals, and tomorrow on June 13th, uh, Matsuyo Uno will take on Sakushi for that title, so winning the tournament and getting her title match. Also tomorrow on the 13th is the Risa Sara Mixed Tag Team Tournament, which we uh, discussed a little about last time. Um, Diana had a dojo show on the 6th and on uh, just today. Haven't managed to see it yet, but there was a Madeline uh, produced show, uh, which had a main event of Madeline against Hikaru Sato, uh, which I believe aired on Kips, which is a uh, streaming service that Ice Ribbon has used in the past and worked very well. Um, Wave had their first two days of the Catch the Wave tournament, the the full thing after the Young Block ended. Uh, a match I would recommend from that, from the 6-1 show, uh, Miyuki Takase against Mio Momono. Uh, if you are fans of either one of them, I'm certain it's not surprising they had an excellent match. Really some great stuff in that that I really enjoyed, so I recommend checking that out. And Chaco Pro, the big news was the best bros retaining their tag titles over Minoru, Fujita, and Rina Yamashita. So that is everything that has happened in the last two weeks. All right, and that gives us a chance to dig into what's coming up over the next couple of weeks. I know Stardom has... A, a raft of shows announced, but I don't believe they've announced uh, what's going to be on those shows yet. Yeah, they have a number of shows, 19th, 20th, 23rd, 24th, 26th, and 27th, but nothing announced yet. I'm sure that that will be announced in the coming days as we get the fallout uh, from the big show. Seedling has two shows back-to-back uh, coming up this week on the 16th and the 17th. Um, on the 16th, there is going to be some match, uh, Citrus Win versus La Fresas. And they said that the participants and the rules and everything will be announced at a later date. Um, the poster has a number of people. It has Nanai, Arisa Nakajima, Yumika Hoda, Honori Hana, and Riko Kawahara on one side. And on the other side has Asuka, Ayame Sasamura, Riko Kaiju, and Makoto. So you might um, maybe deduce from that 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 might be some formation of the teams for this match, but we have not heard yet. And then on the 17th, uh, a big title match. The tag titles will be on the line as the new champions, Asuka and Makoto, take on Yumika Hoda and Rina Yamashita. And then there will be Nanai Takahashi against the returning Ryu Mizunami and the winner will challenge Asuka for the Beyond the Sea title. And then, as I I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, one of the big shows coming up in the next two weeks, Tokyo Joshi is back at Korokin Hall 
for their next big Corican Hall show. So, Aaron, do we want to break this show down? Let's do it. Um, let's start at the bottom. I mean, we won't have much to say about these. Naroka Tenma, Yuki Aino, Aku, uh, Pamharajuku versus Suzume, Harunaneko, Moka Miyamoto, Arisuendo. I bet this will be like a lot of opening Tokyo Joshi Pro matches. I I think that's probably a, a solid guess. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, then we will get a, a singles match from the recently debuting Kaya Toribami against Shoko Nakajima. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. As I said, I thought uh, Toribami had a great debut, and I'm interested to see her in a singles uh, setting as she was in that 10-person tag, which is sometimes, you know, you come in, you do one or two spots, and then you leave. But interesting to see what she looks like in a full match, you know, one-on-one with one of the better uh, workers in the company. Then we have uh, Yuki Kamafuku and now Kakuta teaming up to take on Miyu Watanabe and Mahiro Kiru. Yeah, I don't know. Aaron, do you see maybe there's a story coming out of this match? It, You know, I can't, uh, you know, I don't see anything jumping out at me. Yeah, um, it don't feel like, you know, teams that would get a tag title shot. Uh, the only thing that potentially jumps out at me is if somebody pins Kamiyu and that leads kind of could lead to them into an international princess title shot. Yeah, that could be. And it's also, you know, interesting to see as we talked about after the last cork and interesting to see what the path forward for uh, Yuki Kamafuku is because we, you know, as we said, we don't know. Hopefully she stays up uh, near the top of the show, but but we will see, and this will be our first hint of that. Indeed. So I, I am curious about that. Uh, Mirai Mayumi taking on Yuki Arai. Yeah, a second uh, sort of more experienced wrestler against a rookie. Another match I'm really excited for. As everyone knows, I've talked up Mayumi a lot, and I think that she will, I you know, I think this match has the potential to be very exciting. Um, and to really be able to see the full potential of Arai on display in this match. Yeah, it also gives Mayumi, you know, obviously she's going to win the match, and I think it's good for her to be getting wins on these bigger shows in Korokuan as she keeps building up the card. So, yeah, I'm excited about this one. Then we have Yuka Sakazaki and Mizuki versus the, the previously mentioned on this show team of Rika Tatsumi and Hyper Misao. Yeah, this should be uh, four great wrestlers, so should be an excellent match, and I would imagine maybe uh, maybe a number one contender match for the whoever emerges from the main event as tag team champions. I'm going to have to send this match to my Japanese teacher to uh, get her up on what's going on with uh, Tatsumi and Misao. I'm sure she'll be very excited to receive it. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, and then the aforementioned International Princess title will be on the line with the champion Hikari Noah taking on Marika Kobashi. I, did either of us come up with Kobashi as a potential challenger last well, time? Well, I think questions? at that point I didn't because she had already challenged. So she wasn't mentioned. Because uh, she yeah, was that, sort of already right. in line. I think it was sort of already set up for this. So I was trying to think of sort of people who 
I didn't want to take credit for being like, you know who would be great? Uh, Marika Kobashi. Oh, wait, that's already happening. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, Aaron, it would have been good for you, though, because you could have corrected being so wrong about uh, Sai Kamitani. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that there's any world in which Marika Kobashi wins this match? Uh, no, I think there's no world in which she wins this match. I would put it at 5%. All right. I am very interested in this match, though, because this feels sort of like the first chance for her since she came back to really show, you know, in a one on one situation, big, big match on a on a Corican that is, I would say, slightly less stacked than these Corican's usually are. You know, there's usually a princess of princess title match on a lot of these Corican's and there is not one on this match so uh, or on this card so an opportunity for her really to impress and improve her uh, stock in the company yeah that that makes sense i mainly just want to listen to her talk about japanese hip-hop really do you ever read her posts about japanese hip-hop i i do not (laughs) well look for them I will. I didn't even know that that was that was a thing that was happening. Oh yeah, big Japanese hip hop fan, uh, Marika Kobashi. So try that out. The main event of the Korokuen show will be for the Princess Tag Team Titles: Saki Sama and Mesami Shell versus Miyu Yamashita and Maki Ito. Now this is a match that seems more up in the air to me, Aaron. What do you think? I think it would make sense for Yamashita and Ito to win. You know, I also think that New Bashikigun often, you know, wins these tag titles with Saki-sama and some partner, depending on when it is. But it feels like they're not a team designed to hold the titles for a long time. It feels like they're designed to win, sort of be that, you know, team to knock off for a little bit and then find a team to knock them off and then that team goes on and has a you know sizable reign with the title but the twist of it is are you going to make Yamashita double champion in a in a company where as i said there's no princess of princess uh title match on this show and do you want to tie her up with two titles when you might need in your, you know, available matches, you know, a next cork and, oh, we really need to get people in. Okay, let's put a, both a tag team and a Princess of Princess title match on the show. Does that make it harder for them to do that? What do you think, Aaron? I definitely think so. I mean, we have talked so much in recent months about how great of a job they've done at lengthening their cards by making more stars and it would really make for uh, a more challenging card uh what's the phrase i'm looking for i don't know you know card building it, it would make that more challenging if you got one person who holds you know your two top titles uh so you know when you look at the teams it's like of course you could see miyu and, and maki winning the match but it's hard to imagine that they would do that 
when, uh, as we've been talking about, it, it's just going to make it so difficult to to book your to book your cards. Of course, as you were pointing out, we look at it right here. They only have the tag title match, no Princess of Princess title match. But you know they're running Corquin a lot more than they used to. So you, you sometimes you're going to need both to draw a house. So uh, I don't know. I that makes this match very exciting. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, we didn't even really touch on this, but the fact that, you know, another Edo title challenge, how many Edo title challenges really can she lose? It feels like she's not at the breaking point now where if she loses this, it's she's out. But it does feel like we're closing in on the point where she should win, maybe not the tech titles, but it feels like she should win something to me. Do you feel the same way or am I off base? I could see that. Uh, I don't personally feel that way. I, I'm not opposed to the idea. Uh, of course, she has been the international princess title or the international princess champion. Um, so to me, it's like such a long story to be told with Maki finally winning the princess of princess title for sure that I'm still on happy to be on the ride. But if, if you felt differently, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say you were as wrong as you were about Sai Kamitani. <laughs> I'm going to be living that down. <laughs> no, I'll forget about many it. Many years. My next episode. Yeah. Okay. But this <laughs> thought just popped in my head. What is to become of Mesa Michelle after this team loses the tag titles? Someone we didn't mention that I just thought of as an international princess title challenger. If she's going to be in the company as like a normal roster member uh, after this run, I have no idea whether that's true or not. But I think her run after this uh, this tag title reign ends is very interesting to me. Yeah, that's very true. I don't know if they have plans to keep her around Neo Bishiki Goon. Um, you know, because in the past, you know, in years past, they did have sort of a stable group. And then it sort of just became Saki Sama bringing people in occasionally. And that seemed recently, you know, the most recent example being. Hyper Masao turning into Masao, as we talked about. And, you know, I guess the question for Tokyo Joshi is where do you think that she would serve more value? You know, if they lose the tag titles, you would assume that they're not going to go for the tag titles again in the near future. And then, sort of, is there value to. You know, May Sam Michelle is sort of this secondary, because that largely is what she is, not in a negative way, but just in the way that Neo Bishikigun very much is sort of Saki Sama and blank. You know, that's sort of always the way it is. And is there value to having, I mean, as you saw with Masao, they sort of lost the titles. And shortly after that, Hyper Masao came back. So obviously they felt like for Hyper Masao, there wasn't a value there to have her sort of as the secondary character. 
Well, it, you know, May San Michel not being from Tokyo Joshi, I don't know if they feel the same way or if they would just say, oh, she's fine, you know, there or down the road. They change her when they say, hey, we could really use, you know, some other character here. I mean, she could come back as, as May Saruga. She could. I mean, technically, she could do both. She could. That'd they, be fun. If they, if they really wanted. I would love that. I love May. All right. Well, that looks like a good show. So I am looking forward to it. And I'm sure we'll talk about it on the next show. Yes. And Sendai Girls also has a big show on the 27th in Niigata. Um, a few, only a few matches have been announced so far. Uh, Keoru, Iger, and Raidin Hagane against Sakura Hirota, Haruka Umasaki, and Nanami. Nanami. Um, and then for the junior title, Mei Hoshizuki against Yurika Oka. That's an interesting match, um, especially depending on what happens at uh, Gaeism. You know, does this junior title go back to uh, Sendai Girls if they end up losing? the Sendai Girls uh, tag titles, which are now on the line in the main event of the Gaia show. So we'll see, but an int- sort of an interesting um, interesting ways that could go. And then the main event, uh, a pretty exciting main event, Meiko Satomura and Minoru Suzuki against Nanai Takahashi and Jinsei Shinsaki. So a very... Um, sort of unusual match. This will be Mako Satomura's last match in Japan, at least for the time being. She is moving to the UK full-time. She just recently, uh, at least on the airings of the TV, won the NXT UK title from Kaylee Ray. So she will be there full-time. So this is her last hurrah here in Japan in what will be the main event of this big show. Uh, also on the 27th, Ice Ribbon will be at Corican Hall, although nothing has been announced yet for that show. Uh, so we will have to wait and see for that. And then Catch the Wave is continuing. They have shows on the 14th and the 22nd. On the 14th, exciting match, Miyuki Takase. Uh, well, I was going to say, I wrote this out. Uh, it was going to be Takase against Inaba, but Inaba was just announced as injured uh, today. She has a an injury, so that match probably will not be happening. But on the 22nd, uh, Nagisa Nozaki against you. That should be a fun match. And they also have a non-catch-the-wave show on, July, on June 20th. So that is everything coming up in the next two weeks of Joshi Wrestling. Is there anything else we need to talk about, Taylor? Aaron, I think we covered it all. Beautiful. Just what I like to hear. All right. Well, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at TayMambo. Subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating and review. And if you want to donate to the show, go to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. That's it. And we will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.